Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to have a chat with Kevin. So Kevin, if you can tell me when, and where you were born, if you can describe to me what it was like where you grew up, the schools you went to, and the education that you received. Yes, thank you for having me on, Tim. I appreciate it. I was born in 1989, August 8th, 1989 is when I was born. I was born in a small town called Milford, Massachusetts, and I was raised in Uxbridge, Massachusetts. And my town was pretty small. I think we probably had like 7,000 people in it. There wasn't a whole lot to do. Um, I used to spend a lot of time outside on my bike or outside playing baseball or outside exploring the woods like any kid would do. And I, I have very, very fond memories of a simple life where... I would have to be in before the streetlights would come on. That was the rule. I could only cross so many streets. I could go across the street at one end of my street and at the other end. But after that, it was kind of like you got to stay pretty close. So that was my town was it's interesting because I don't think you understand much about your town until you reflect back on it because what's normal for you is normal. But yeah, there wasn't a lot going on in my town. It was very small. I remember we had two very, very impactful points. Uh, one, we got a Dunkin' Donuts and that was pretty big. That was like a really, really big thing. And then I remember the other big thing we had was McDonald's. So that was kind of like <laughs> two of these shining highlights of the town that I grew up in. And I went to all of the schools in Uxbridge, Massachusetts. So there was Taft Elementary School, there was Whiten Middle School, and then there was Uxbridge High School. And I don't remember a ton about uh, elementary or middle school. They were definitely... I'll just say not the nicest schools, but I do remember, Tim, when I was in high school, we actually were on the verge of losing accreditation. So our high school was very close to losing its accreditation status, which was a whole thing. And there was classrooms in the basement and there was no AC and it was, it was a whole thing. It was very, very interesting. Um, well, but well, well, we'll, we'll come to that because you, you've kind of, you've done what we tried not to do. Yeah, that's. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's take you back to, to sort of Uxbridge. Now, now we've got Uxbridge in England, obviously, mm. which is just on the, uh, on the, the west of London. Uh, so, and that's, and that's sort of Uxbridge, Middlesex. Mm. So that's kind of been there probably longer than Uxbridge. I would say so. Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> I would say so. So, so was it like a, a, a real treat to, to go to Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> and McDonald's or was that like just a, just the easiest way to sort of feed you after school? It was a treat because the closest, I mean, I had a Dunkin' Donuts within walking distance of my house at one point, And that was, I mean, before that you had to take a car, you had to drive to another town to get to Dunkin' Donuts. So that was, that was quite a treat. And I remember in the same plaza, so the Dunkin' Donuts used to be a CVS. And in that plaza on half days, all of the kids in my school would go to Papa Gino's. I don't know if you have Papa Gino's across the pond, but it's just a pizza joint. Yeah. So, well, yeah, we, we have Papa John's. Papa John's. Okay, similar. Yeah, okay. it's very similar. It's sort of thing. There's a pizza yeah. parlor. Yeah, pizza parlor. And I remember we used to go there on half days and there'd be a line out the door and people would just be hanging out, getting pizza and trying to stay out of trouble. And that was always a, a fun time. That was a, a nice thing to do on a half day is go hang out with your friends and, and go to Papa Gino's. But what I do remember, Tim, it's interesting. We had, we used to call it the puddle. It was, we had a town park where it had a little lake and it had, it wasn't a lake, it was a little pond and it had a playground and then you would take this path up into the woods and there was another pond up there. And when I was a kid, we used to go up there and we would ride our bikes up there. We would snowboard down the hill. We'd play on the playground. We'd ice skate on the, the pond when it froze. We had a lot of, a lot of time I spent up there and in the woods, assuming I was living in the wilderness, which obviously I wasn't because there was houses right next door to where we were. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you got a lot of snow then. Now, how far was the school away? From where I lived? Did you have to walk or, or did you have to get the, the big yellow bus? <laughs> I So when I went to elementary and middle school, I actually lived right across the street from the school. Like literally right across the street. So not like some kids that had to ski to school then. No, no. And then <laughs> later in life, when I was in high school, I walked because it was only like, and it's so interesting. Now it it probably is like a mile. But back then I remember thinking to myself, okay, I cannot believe I'm walking to school. Like this is, this should be illegal. In the grand scheme of things, it might've been a mile walk, but it seems, everything seems so much further and so much bigger when you're, when you're younger. So yeah, I, I lived directly across the street from the two schools originally. And then high school, I ended up moving. So I, I lived probably five minutes away. It was a small town. There wasn't, everything was kind of centrally located. It was downtown and the school was, was right down the street. We got a subway too, Tim. That was a big deal. I remember we got a, a subway restaurant down, downtown as well. I was going to say a small town with a subway. Yeah, no, no. Subway sandwich shop. Not a, not a subway tube system. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you could have done, I suppose, but yeah, it wouldn't have made an awful lot of sense to have a subway. Mm-mm. underground <laughs> it would have been exciting it would have been exciting but i think the sandwich shop held up just fine i remember i was so excited because i don't know if i had ever had it before and i heard about it and it was like oh, i'll give it a shot and boom now we got a subway three minutes from my house that's perfect well so you you live sort of fairly close to the center of town then yes what what was your house like was, was it sort of uh, on a leafy sort of wide street where kids used to play out uh, in the street or was it sort of two up, two down? It was, we lived on a street where it was kind of, it's very weird because it was like a, it was kind of like a cut through street where there was a main road on one side and there was a main road on another side. And our street was kind of the cut through and people used to drive down there. Like they were drag racing. It was wild. They would hammer down our street, but I lived in a duplex. So we lived in one side and our landlords lived in the other side. And we had a big backyard, which was nice. Eventually, uh, my neighbors got a pool, which was nice. But I remember I used to play wiffle ball and I used to hit golf balls in the backyard. And I used to, yeah, we used to play. My friends and I would play in the backyard because it was fenced in. It was a really, it was a really nice backyard. And I used to have my workout equipment in the basement, even when I was younger, even when I was in high school, we had like a very dingy basement that was concrete and cobwebs. And I used to work out in there. It made me feel like I was in a dungeon, but yeah, we lived for most of my life. We rented, we never owned a home. We always rented from other people. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, the reason that you was playing out in the backyard is because it was too unsafe to play in, in, in the street. I mean, you're playing <laughs> stickball in the street and you say, car, you sort of step aside and the car comes trundling past. Yeah. Sort of game on. Tiny said, car, you got run over. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a lot of stickball. We did ride our bikes a lot. I used to ride my bike on the street a lot and you had to be careful, but I mean, we had it pretty figured out at that point, but we would do a lot of we would ride down to the school. We used to do that a lot at night because so our high school was like, it's really hard to explain. And I've never had to explain it before, Tim. So this is wonderful. Our, our high school was kind of up on a ledge. And then there was three little league baseball fields below it. And we would ride our bikes down there during the summer at night when we were like, anywhere from 10, 11, 12, 13. And there'd be teams playing at night under the lights. So we would go down there and we had like a hot dog stand and you could get slushies. And we would just ride our bikes around and hang out with our friends and, and just watch baseball. And that was, it was a lot of fun because there was nothing else going on when you're that age, you don't have to worry about much. So it was, that was a a very fond memory I have looking back. So you didn't play sort of baseball yourself then? I did. Part of the little league team. And did you, did you play down there as well? Uh, yep. Yep. I did. I played, I started playing baseball when I was nine. My mom made me play. 
So I never played T-ball. I never wanted to play. My mom said, hey, you should pick up a sport. Like, I think you'd be good at baseball. And I said, I don't have any idea why you think I'd be good. I've never played. But I started playing when I was nine. And I ended up making the all-star team. And then I went to Little League when I was 10. And I remember I made the all-star team every single Every time I ever played, every year I played high school, all the way up to high school, I ended up making all the all-star teams, which was wonderful. Um, but I remember, Tim, the when I was 10 years old, you get drafted. So like, there's like a tryout and all the coaches go and they watch you try out. And I remember there was a guy named Alan. His, his last name was Alan Ashcraft. That was his name. And he saw me try out. And he said, Kevin's too small. I'm not going to pick him. And I ended up not getting picked. I don't remember when I got picked, but I remember somebody told me that he had that conversation with them. And every time I hit a home run in Little League, it was against his team. That just, it kept happening. It was awesome. It was awesome. And we ended up becoming pretty good friends later in, later in life. I, I used to see him walking all the time and we became pretty good friends because of that conversation of that interesting plot point of the story. It was, yeah, I was very hurt originally that he passed me up. But after I hit a couple home runs, I said, you know what? You made the wrong decision, sir. Yeah. I'm going to do it to you every single time I go against you. Got to, got to. <laughs> Brilliant. So did you play sports sports and that in school? Yep. Just, I, so <laughs> I think everybody tries to play football in school. I tried, but I was five foot three, like 140 pounds. So that there wasn't a lot of that happening for me. Um, oh, so I tried okay. to play could have been a running back, I suppose. I, I tried. There were, there were people were too big, Tim. It was like I was playing against full full grown adults. I used to go home crying at the end of every practice because I was so beat up. So I played I played freshman football and then I ended up playing baseball. Baseball is the only the only sport I ever really played, other than I was training martial arts for a while. So I trained mixed martial arts because I wanted to fight professionally when I was younger. That was something I wanted to do. But baseball was always my jam. Football, I got hurt. And uh, baseball was a lot less contact, which was nice for me. <laughs> Unless you're going to do a slide underneath somebody. I, well, I was little, so I could... I could yeah, I could slide through their legs. I was little, so that that works. I could steal a lot of bases. I played shortstop. I played second base. I pitched occasionally. It was, it was fun. I, I had a very good time playing baseball. Mm. And you made the all-star team every year. So I did. I did. You couldn't have been too much of a slouch then. I was pretty good. I was pretty good, all things considered. I think the the reason was because I was pretty reckless. So like I would always dive for the ball or I'd run into the fence or whatever. I didn't I didn't care as long as I made the play. So that definitely helped me. And I never got hurt too bad. So that that's a win, I would say. Good. All things considered, since your mum made you play it, <laughs> you did all right then. Yeah, so. I wasn't I wasn't happy at first, Tim, but I was grateful after. Mm. So you obviously saw something, didn't you? Evidently. So what other subjects did you so let's let's have a look at your um your middle school. Okay. Let's let's see if we can bring out something from the middle school. Okay. So what was your favorite subject in, in middle school? Oh man. Probably science, because I think at that age, you're doing a lot of hands-on things. So I remember, I remember in one of my classes, we took two, two liter soda bottles and somehow, I don't know what the lesson was, but you tape them together and there was water in one and you would spin the bottle or both bottles and it would create a vortex and it would go down into the other into the other bottle. And I remember that was pretty cool. That was, I like the hands-on stuff. And then I remember we learned about the weather system. So it was, um, precipitate, no evaporation, precipitation. I don't remember how it goes, but there was this song about the weather system. And I remember we had to make, I think we made like a terrarium with weather and like clouds and stuff. And that was pretty cool too. So I always enjoyed the hands-on stuff. I didn't, I didn't do so well when we were just like looking at a book because it was hard for me to stay focused. I, I like the hands-on approach. So I would say science was probably my favorite. Math was never 
something I wanted to be a part of. That was just, I, I never understood it. I didn't know what was going on. So science was my favorite. Math was probably my least favorite. Okay. Did you, did you have any music? Did you, did you have music and theater? Was that part of uh, yeah. school? Yeah. We, did I make you play an instrument? Yeah, the recorder. That's what we played. We played the recorder. Did you get any good at it? Or no, definitely not. I think the goal was to get to, if you could play hot cross buns, you were pretty good. But I don't know if I ever, I don't know if I ever got there. <laughs> I'm not very musically inclined, inclined either. If I didn't find this podcast thing, Tim, I would be in trouble for sure. Fair one. <laughs> I mean, personally, I can't even carry a tune in a bucket. <laughs> but I love music. I, I, I like listening to music and all Same. genres. So um, what about theatre? Did you have any theatre in, in that? No. Okay. No, no, there was none of that. None of that in uh, in any of my schooling, no. <clears throat> so you dipped out a little bit. I guess because that's a small town, is it? I don't know if it if it's like depending on geography, but I don't know a lot of people, like anybody in my area that had any theatre. Mm. I don't know if that maybe it's just like a different states or different areas i don't know yeah oh well, i guess we'll never know <laughs> so moving on up then let's let's have, let's let's uh get into your high school mm. so high school um you moved from sort of the elementary and middle school was across the road and, and your high school was was down the road so obviously you walked to school, didn't you go on your bike? Or didn't they allow you to go on a bike until you passed your cycling efficiency test or whatever? No, no, they did. I just think for me, I I don't know. I don't know if it was because I didn't want to have to lock it up or I had a pretty nice bike. So I don't think I wanted to be out in the weather. I think that was one of the reasons why I just walked. Because like, well, what if it rains or any of that? So no, I, I, I walked. I walked. And then eventually... So I'm young in my, for my grade, I was always very young. So my best friend at the time got his license long before I did. And his family was like pretty, I don't want to say well off, but they had nice things. And his, his first car, one of his first cars was a 1967 Chevy Nova. And it was this like really, really nice muscle car. And I remember we used to take that and I was like, this is the life. This is what I need right now. I need to be in the passenger seat of this car. And I remember that. That was, it felt nice. That felt nice for sure. So I guess you was born sort of back end of the year. So so you were sort of one of the younger ones in, yeah. in each year. So I, mean, I was a young buck. Advantage, I suppose. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it really, if I understood it, you know, cause it's just like, it was just normal. So it, once I figured out like who were my friends in school, like we just go to the same grade together. So I was totally fine with it. It didn't, it didn't really affect me that much. Yeah. So it always seems funny. A, a kid born in January, uh, is a year ahead of, yeah. of somebody born in December. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make much sense, but I guess. No, no. How else would you do it, I guess? Well, I mean, yeah, I could suppose you could do it sort of middle of the year. So, yeah. And, and, and have the same effect, I suppose. Yeah. There you go. So, high school then, what was what was your worst subject? Well, what one did you try and get out of all the time? <laughs> math. I had the cheat. <laughs> I had the cheat in, in math class to get through. I remember it was like another language, Tim, that we'd be going through – whether it would be algebra one, algebra two, it was just like, I none of this makes any sense. I don't understand what we're talking about here. Math was always, math was always the hardest one for me. Spanish was pretty close too. Mm. Spanish was pretty close too. I don't know if it's because I didn't care about it enough to actually focus and dedicate myself to learning it particularly the, the Spanish part, because I was like, when am I ever going to use this? You know, I, I don't think I had the understanding that that would come in as a valuable asset later in life. So yeah, math and Spanish were the two that I just did not want anything to do with. <laughs> so, Nothing. 
What was the ones that got you out of bed in the morning? Which ones could you could you not wait to go to get to school to, to mm. take part in? Was there a particular class that you really, really loved doing? So I I think it's that one is the gimme that everybody says is is phys ed, gym class. I always love gym class, but we'll we'll do a real class. I was in a class called it wasn't international studies. I don't even remember the subject, but we used to watch a lot of movies. I think it was law. I took a law class and it was a teacher. We called him Hutch. And he had this classroom where he had a projector and he had a big, like a big projector screen. And we used to watch a movie every couple days. You know, we watched Jerry Maguire. We watched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. We watched... Um, oh, what's the movie with Ben Affleck? We watched so many movies in there and it was like, oh, Argo, that was the movie. Um, it was just awesome. We, we could bring like food into that classroom. You could buy sodas from him. It was like, it was kind of like a party and he was a really good teacher because he was always, I don't, he had a really unique way of conversing with his students. He treated you more like a friend than than a student. It was like a peer to peer relationship, and that's something I always really enjoyed. Mm. So, did you have to sort of analyze these these movies and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, and we had to do like mock trials. We did some mock trials in that classroom, and it's interesting because my business partner was in. I went to high school with my business partner, and we weren't like friends in high school, and he was in my law class. And he was, I was on the jury of one of the cases that he was, I don't know if he was, whether he was the, the defense or the, the other side, but I remember I, I created the verdict against him. And it's something we always joke about. He's like, I couldn't win you over in that law class. And I said, you just, you didn't prove the points. You just didn't prove the points. <laughs> so that's a, that's a little story that him and I have. And we talk about pretty often because I didn't. I didn't plan on being business partners with him in high school and in middle school. I've known him for a long time, but we were never really, really good friends like we are today. Mm. Well, we'll come on to that in a bit. So, um, let's have a think. What what about history? What was your history class like? Oh, man. I don't remember my history class. Hold on. That was English. You must have done some history. I'm sure I did, but obviously it's ancient history because I don't remember it. (laughs) Must be American history. It can't be that ancient. (laughs) I don't even remember who my teacher was. Wow. For history. I genuinely have no clue. I remember English. I remember science. I remember math. I don't remember history, which is alarming. It is a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite alarming. I did because did, as what I've seen from uh, American schools when in the morning that they all uh, a registration, they all sing the national anthem and, mm. and do that. So did you did you do that every day? We did the the pledge of allegiance. Yeah, yep, we did the pledge of allegiance. Every day before, when, you know, when the bell went off at whatever time it was, seven o'clock or eight o'clock, which seemed like way too early in the morning. But yeah, we did that every morning from, it's as long as I can remember from elementary school, middle school, high school, all the way to the end. Yeah. So every day. Can, so can you remember what you had to say? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands one nation under, uh, one nation under all indivisible that's that's pretty much all i remember (laughs) i got the first part down though yeah and then you just mumbled the rest of it yeah pretty much yeah (laughs) you only remember the beginning of the the beginning of the song after that it's like i don't really remember anything else (laughs) (laughs) terrific so um how did you graduate high school how did i graduate or did you sort of scrape through with a with a, with a, a reasonable pass or? Yeah, I definitely, I, 
I no, no, I didn't flunk. I definitely wasn't honors. I had an interesting graduation, Tim, because when I was a senior in high school, uh, I was definitely drinking by that point. We were definitely partying by that point. And I had cut my hand open with a knife. And this was in the middle of my baseball season. Cause I was a senior. I was one of the captains on my baseball team and we were really good that year. And we were like predicted to go play at States and I sliced my hand open and I had to be in a cast. So my graduation photo is me in a cast trying to hide it because I didn't want it to be in my graduation photo. So I think I passed with relatively normal grades, but I remember I was, it was exciting because I graduated, but I was also pretty ashamed of the fact that I had a cast on because I got drunk and sliced my hand open. I was pretty ashamed of myself at that point. So you was 21 then. No, 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 (laughs) no, no. We had our ways though, Tim. Drink until you're 21 in a minute. Yeah, well, you're not, yeah, we didn't, we didn't know, you know, it's like, you know, somebody, somebody offered it to us and we said, sure, we'll try this. And then, you know, kind of from there, there was a lot of that in my school. And I think that's, I don't know, I'm guessing that's fairly normal, but Mm -hmm. there was a lot of that. And, And all things considered, the drinking part was pretty... That, that was pretty middle of the road. There was a lot of other things going on in my school, for sure, especially looking back, harder drugs, for sure. Yeah. Oh, and something that we didn't have when I was a kid. Mm. Well, if it did, I never saw it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, of course, we were drinking at 14, but... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But certainly there weren't drugs around. There was a lot. Well, mm. it, like, so much where I look back with, like, my awareness now and say, did I did I live in like kind of a sketchy town? Because there was a lot of that. And then after I graduated, there was like a lot of really hard drugs and like a lot of overdoses. And it was just interesting because what's normal seems normal until you look back and realize, well, maybe it wasn't that normal. Mm. So what did you do after high school? Yeah, it was, it was very, yeah, that was an interesting time in my life, Tim, because all of my friends decided that they were going to go away to college and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, but I knew I did not want to go to college. So I believe this, my senior year, I ended up getting my quote unquote first job and I was working at a gas station. So when all my friends went away to college, I stayed back and I pumped gas. I worked at this little gas station called Helen's, Helen's Fuels. And I worked 6 a.m. until 2 p.m., Monday through Friday. That was my my first quote unquote real job. I had health insurance. I had a 401k. I had, I had everything that you could dream of. And it was, that was my first job. That was my first real shot at responsibility. And I think I did that for like three years after that. So what were you doing there? Were you sort of running out with a, with a rag dude, cleaning the windshield and <laughs> the lights and filling up with gas? And- yeah. Yeah. It was, Just like in the movies. Just like in the movies. It was one of the only full-service gas stations in the area. So people would come in. I They'd say $20 regular. Boom, put it in, set it for $20. And then they might say, hey, can you check my oil? And I remember the first time somebody said that to me, I was like, I don't even know what that means. Like, I don't know how to check your oil. (laughs) So I had to learn how to do that. And then we used to have these really big diesel semi trucks that would come in. So we would, I would pump their fuel too. And they get, you know, hundreds of gallons of fuel. So that was fun because sometimes they pay with cash and I'd have like a thousand dollars. And I was like, wow, this is a lot of money. That was neat. But I remember I always, I was always kind of embarrassed because my friends were away at at college learning and growing and meeting people. And I just felt like I wasn't making any progress in life. And I was, I was a little embarrassed at times and nothing against that job. But yeah, I think at times I was a little bit embarrassed because I, I saw other people growing and it seemed like they were way ahead of me and that, that hurt me. Hmm. It's a funny way of looking at it. Hmm. I'll, I'll look at the other, I'll take the positive out of working in, uh, because you, you, you're learning a bit of a trade, I guess, learning how to sort of use a dipstick and, and yeah, gas and and you're earning money, and uh, 
uh, <laughs> you're not spending money on education. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're, not, you're not building up a big big amount of debt when you, <laughs> when you graduate college. So I think that's a positive. You're sort of out in the workplace um, earning rather than learning. Yeah. I or think so now. Earning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Learning and earning. When I look back now, I think I think that's one of the reasons I am where I am today is because I've been working since I was 16. Right. I, I mean, I'm 30, I'm going to be 33. I've been working for 17 years and that has really, really helped me and really, really served me. And to your point, I didn't have any, any student debt, which is nice. And I learned a lot about, I learned a lot about people. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about just biz, business to a degree, understanding how it all worked. I learned a lot at the gas station and I'm very grateful for that time. But I know at the time it definitely hurt my, cause there'd be girls that would come in that I would have a crush on and it, I'd be like, ah, you know, I'm pumping their gas. They probably, they're probably not going to want to date me. So that was always a challenge for me, for sure. Well, I would look to the other way. I would have dated you because, hey, this guy's got money. <laughs> college students ain't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the problem was they had more money than I did, Tim. That was the problem. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how long did you spend at the gas station? I think I was there from, oh man, probably like three or four years. I think I worked there full time for three or four years. Every Monday through Friday. That was my, that was my jam. And I enjoyed that schedule. I mean, 6 a.m. till 2. I'm off. Um, gives, gives you the rest of the day. Yeah. And I, again, everything was pretty close. So I lived two minutes down the street. So I'd be home at 2.05 on Friday. I remember I used to, Saturday morning, I didn't have work. I would get up at like, I used to think it was early, but I'd probably get up at like 8. And I had a Mustang. I had a, it was a 1997 Mustang GT. And I remember I would go to, what's that? A big V8 gas guzzler. Yes. Yes. But I loved it. That was my dream car at the time. (laughs) And I would get up and I would drive to Dunkin' Donuts because we didn't have that, the Dunkin' Donuts yet. That Dunkin' Donuts wasn't there yet. And I would drive to the next town. I would get Dunkin' Donuts. And that was kind of my Saturday ritual. And then I would stop at the gas station. I'd fill up my car. That was like, for some reason, I that was my favorite thing to do on Saturday. I was a simple, just a simple man. I like simple things. And that was my favorite thing to do on Saturday. So did you get free gas or was that... um (laughs) Frowned upon. No, no, no. Did you get staff discount? Nothing. (laughs) <laughs> I could pump it myself. That that was the only thing that happened is I pumped it myself to to save the other kids time because it's like that was kind of our rule of thumb is if you work at the gas station and you go in you pump your own gas because you know the other the other kids are busy running around like the least you can do is pump your own gas and try to make it as easy for them as humanly possible. So that was something we did to keep the morale up. That was kind of an unspoken agreement we all had. And you had to do your own windscreen and check your own Yes. Oil. Yes. We had all the stuff. You've got to put air in your tire. You got to do it yourself. It's you're on your own. Yeah. Did you tip yourself? No, (laughs) no tips. I did really, I, I got a lot of really good tips from loyal customers. I used to get, I remember around Christmas, I would get $20 bills regularly. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I loved, I loved holidays because people were really nice, but I also hated the cold. That was because you can't really wear so back then it, we weren't in the society we're in now where everybody, not everybody, but many people pay with debit cards or credit cards. Mm-hmm. Back then I dealt with a lot of cash and you can't really count money with mittens on. That's like impossible. So I usually had either the, the fingerless gloves or for a while I tried having gloves and then putting latex gloves over them so I could count the money. I tried that. I was trying to get creative with it, but winters were brutal. They were brutal. Yeah, I guess. At six o'clock in the morning, you first one comes in and you start the day cold and it doesn't get any better. Yeah, we could go in, which was nice. Like there was a little, we had a little spot where we could go in, but I don't know. Sometimes I feel like that even made it worse because you go in there and then you start sweating and you have to go out. And it was just this, the winter was a challenge, but summer was wonderful because... 
there was a there was a really nice garage across the street that serviced some really nice cars. So like they do burnouts on the street and they'd be racing up and down the street. That was always nice. So summers were really nice because we had the radio going. You know, there'd be pretty girls coming in. So yeah, when when summer and the gas station were popping, that was fun. And I worked with a lot of my friends. That was another interesting thing is it was a lot of high school kids that worked there. And some of them stayed around after and still worked there. So it was nice because I had I had friends that I worked with too, which was fun. Mm. So what did you do after after you left the gas station? Oh, let's see. Okay. So I one day I told my boss, because this is the kind of person I try to be, I said, Hey, I'm looking for a new job as a personal trainer. I just wanted to let you know because I'm getting my personal trainer certification and I just want to make sure you can find somebody else. And my boss said, yeah, no worries. Thanks for letting us know. The next day I get a call at, I think like 5.45 in the morning and they fired me. So they fired me the next day, (laughs) even though I tried to do the right thing, which is a shame. And I didn't have my personal trainer certification yet. So I couldn't, I couldn't get a job as a personal trainer. So I ended up going and applying for a job at a hospital And I was a, it's considered a project person and I work third shift. So a project person, their main job is to take care of the floors. So when you go into a hospital and maybe you've seen this before, there's people who strip the floors, they take off the old wax, they clean the floor and then they put new wax on. And that was my job. And I love that. That was awesome. The problem was we only did that like a couple times a month. The rest of the times I was cleaning bathrooms. I was cleaning rooms when people checked out. I'd empty empty the needle boxes when they were full, cleaning the stairs, that kind of stuff. So that was my, that was my next job. I worked 11 to seven. So I worked overnight in a hospital as a project person. And I, that was brutal too. Just the hours. Those hours were so hard. No, it's just a tough. Yeah. And again, all my friends are either still in college or like, hey, you want to come out Friday? It's like, no, I can't. I'm working. You guys are getting to the bar. I'm going to be just getting to work. That was that was a really, it was a challenge for sure. I think that taught me a lot of responsibility because I had to say no to a lot of things, but I do remember that was a very difficult time in my life because I felt very alone. Nobody else knew, like nobody else I knew was working that shift. Nobody understood what that was like. I was making more money, which was good, but mm. yeah, I remember that was a challenging time for sure. And, and all, all the time you're working towards your, your personal training ticket. Yeah. Yep. So that was the goal as well. Yeah, that was the goal. That was, it was like, okay, this is probably going to be an in-between job. The only reason I took it is because it was third shift and it paid well. I didn't even want to work first shift. That wasn't, I didn't want to do that because it just didn't pay enough. I I couldn't, I, I don't want to say I couldn't survive, but it just wasn't enough money. So yeah, my goal was, let me see how long I can do this. Let me try to save as much money as I can. And then on the side, I'll study and I'll try to get my personal trainer certification. That was my goal. So you're still living at home with your parents, I guess. Yep. Yeah, at that point I was, yeah. I was still still at home. So you're a bit of a gym, gym queen then. <laughs> spent a lot of time in the gym, pumping iron and... Yeah. And even to this day? Still to this day. This morning I got up at 5.30 and I was at the gym at 6 a.m. In the, in the boxing room, hitting the bag. What's the bag done to you? i i've been trying to lose weight tim because i'm so i'm leaving uh next well actually this sunday i'm going to get married so i'm trying to make sure i look good when i get there Uh (laughs) want some advice please don't do it (laughs) (laughs) i'm very blessed i'm very blessed i have a wonderful partner i'm very blessed i'm sure So, um, how long did you last on that sort of late shift? Oh, man. I think I did a year and a half. Good grief. I think I lasted it. Yeah, I think I lasted a year and a half. But it was, 
I don't know. It was interesting because since we worked third shift, some nights I was the supervisor, which I shouldn't have been because I didn't know what I was doing, but <laughs> we would go sleep. Some nights I would literally go because we had keys to every room. So if there was like, there was different parts in the hospital where it wasn't even staffed. So you could just go hang out if you wanted to. So some nights I would go sleep. Some nights I would just read magazines depending on what it was. So I tried to just get by, but yeah, I remember, I remember that I was like, I can't do this anymore. This night shift is like tearing my life apart and I just want a quote unquote normal life. So then I went and I took the personal trainer test and I got my certification for a personal trainer. And then I started applying to the jobs and then I kind of went from there. Mm. So 18 months in, you, you've got your, your ticket to become a personal trainer. Where was the first gym you worked at? Can you remember your first client? Um, I can remember some of my first clients. Yeah. I, so it was interesting cause I applied to a bunch of different gyms, but the place that I actually got hired at was a private fitness studio. So it wasn't a gym. It was a studio that had four separate rooms. And as a trainer, you had your own room that had machines and dumbbells and it was wild. And I remember the first so I went for an interview and I was late for the first interview because I got a flat tire. And I was like, I'm not going to get this job. There's no way they're going to give me this job. And they said, under normal circumstances, we would never give you this job, but you seem like a good person and you don't seem like you have a lot of bad habits to break. So one of the things I guess in the in the personal training industry is a lot of people have, it's it's harder to break bad habits than it is to teach somebody how you want them to do it. So- I ended up getting that job and I remember a couple of my first clients I had, I don't remember his name, but it was a, a husband and a wife and most of our clients were pretty wealthy. And I remember he came in and he, his name was Rodney. That was his name. He was such a nice guy. He was such a nice guy. And his wife's name was Lynn, I think. And he came in one day and he's like, Kev, I just bought a new Porsche. Come look at it. And I remember looking outside and I was like, oh, this guy's like really quite wealthy. And he's a really, really nice person. So I think that, that time in my life helped me understand that money isn't bad. For a lot of my life, I assumed that people who had money were bad people. A lot of the people I worked with were wonderful human beings and they all had a real good amount of money. So that was an interesting time. I didn't like the people I worked for very much because they were very salesy and I, that's not why I wanted to become a personal trainer. But it was it was definitely an interesting it was an interesting job. I learned a lot. Um but when I signed up, so when you sign the contract, part of the contract is I will work here for at least a year. If I do not work here for at least a year, I have to pay $1,000 to get out of my contract. Mm-hmm. And later when I left, I ended up, so I remember uh, they actually cut my pay. So when I started, I think I was making like $15 an hour or something and I was struggling to sell. I couldn't sell packages because that's not why I started. I didn't start to be in sales. And they brought me into the office one day and they said, Hey, we have to cut your pay because you're not making us enough money. And I was like, okay, I guess. All right. I don't know what else to say. I guess that's going to happen then. And I ended up leaving like eight months in. And I, I wrote them a check for $1,000 and I said, I'm done. I, I don't want to be here anymore. This is terrible. I don't enjoy this. This is this is not what I signed up for. And then I ended up leaving that job. Mm. So it cost you $1,000. So it cost me $1,000. Did you make anything in that? Not as, not as much as I'd hoped. No, I, I definitely I definitely broke even, but... Yeah, I, mm. it's it was it was a very interesting learning experience for me because it made me realize that why I wanted to do it wasn't necessarily the reason other people wanted to do it. Mm. For me, it wasn't about selling packages; it was about helping people, and that that's not how it came through from the people I worked for. Mm. Yeah, I guess there's a delicate balancing act of. Um, bringing in enough clients to, to, yeah. to make it viable and delivering what 
what they want, but also satisfied your um, your desire to be able to to deliver something that's going to better somebody's life. Yeah, yeah, it was a tough balance for sure. And again, I now more than ever, I just try to look back and take the lessons out. At the time, I don't think I was mature enough to do that. I think I was just like, all right, I'm out of here. I don't like this, and that was that. <laughs> so, what did you move on to? What did I move on to? Got a bit of experience in in personal training, but got, yeah, yeah. I put that feather in the cap. Cool. So I didn't have anything lined up. So I remember when I quit that job, I was like, I don't care. I'll figure it out. I have no idea what I'm going to do. A couple of weeks went by, and I said, okay, I got to find a job. And my uncle worked at a building supply company, so they would deliver sheetrock, they deliver plywood, they would deliver insulation, all that stuff, uh, and he said, Hey, we're looking for a forklift operator. Maybe you can come drive a forklift here. And I was like, okay, that sounds fun. Let me give that a try. So I went in for the interview. I ended up getting the job and then I became a forklift operator at this company. And again, that was, it's interesting because it always seems really cool at the beginning. And then you figure out like what it really is. And then you realize you don't like it. But I remember I really enjoyed certain parts of that job. The fact that So what would happen is you would give me a slip and it would say, okay, this is the order. It needs this amount of sheetrock, this amount of uh, tape, this amount of insulation, blah, 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 go get it. And then load this truck. And it was like, all right, cool. I can do that. That's pretty cool. And then you'd load the truck and the truck would leave and they'd go deliver it. And that was that. But what really the struggle with it was it, there were no set hours, Like some mornings I started at like four in the morning and worked until six in the afternoon. And I remember, yeah, it was, everybody wanted overtime and I didn't, I did not want overtime. I wanted my six to two. I like six to two and there was none of that. But eventually I remember I asked my, my uncle, I said, Hey, are there any other opportunities for drivers? We have this truck. We have a 20-foot 20, a 20 flatbed that nobody's driving. You don't need a special, a special license to drive it. I have a great driving record. I know how to drive a stick. Can we put that truck out on the road? And he's like, do you want to do that? And I said, yeah, I'd love to drive. So then I ended up becoming a driver where I'd get to the shop at 4.45 or 5, depending on when. I'd load up. And then I would drive into Boston or I drive to uh, Connecticut or I drive wherever. And I love that. I absolutely love that because it was just me. It was the radio. I could take lunch when I wanted. The only thing that still kind of sucked was the hours. There were still no set hours, but I could get out of there earlier usually because I was a driver, which was nice. Mm. So it's a bit like um, once you've got a load on your back, you deliver it. And then you get back in the yard. If you can load it for the following morning, you can get a little bit of a later start. If you yep. if you had to load it in the morning, you had to get in early to get it loaded to get out. Yep, 100%. And then there was like occasionally there were Saturday runs where it was easy. Like your truck was already loaded. You go in on Saturday, you go into the city, you come back out and that'd be it. And yeah. I think it was like you had to get paid a certain amount of hours. So even if it took you three hours, you got paid for six or something. So for me, it was like, okay, if I'm making time and a half. Maybe I'll do that every once in a while, but I didn't want to really. I didn't want the overtime. Mm. So how long did that last? Oh man. I think I was probably <laughs> probably there for like a year and a half, maybe <laughs> two years. <laughs> I don't last very long at my jobs, Tim. <laughs> I just don't. Longer than most people, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> don't like but they are. But I usually... Every job I've quit, I don't think I had a backup. Really, that's kind of like, that's, so I remember I was having a conversation with one of my coworkers and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And he's like, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a firefighter. And he's like, okay, that's cool. So I quit my job. I quit that job. And then I went and joined, I still lived in Uxbridge. And at this point I was still living at home, I think. I went and joined the volunteer fire department and then I went to the volunteer fire academy. And that was like my next 
jam. That was my next goal. And one of the guys I went to the academy with from my town, he's this big tattooed, terrifying human, nicest guy in the world. His name's Zach. And he said, Hey, do you have any experience with construction? And I was like, no. I mean, I've delivered construction materials, but no, I don't have any experience with it. He said, well, I have a remodeling company and we're renovating a house. Do you want to come work with us? And I was like, perfect. Yeah, that's awesome. And he's like, we'll pay you $15 an hour, uh, no matter how many hours you work. Well, you know, if you work 40 hours, we're going to pay you 600 bucks. If you don't work, we're going to pay you 600 bucks. I was like, yeah, I'm in. So I ended up doing that while I was going through the fire Academy. And I think that remodel took like four months. So I, I learned a lot about construction and which was nice too. So volunteer firing, uh, I I guess you're not sat around in a a fire station all day long. Mm -mm. You're sort of waiting, waiting for your pager to go off and then running down the street to, it was it was different for me because when you're going through the academy you don't really get to go to the fires because you're technically not certified yet so one of the things and this is one of the biggest lessons i've ever learned in my entire life throughout the entire fire academy i didn't have the courage to ask questions i was afraid people were going to laugh at me i was afraid people were going to judge me i was afraid i was going to do something wrong so the first I graduate, I got my certification, I'm on call, on town now, it's like awesome. I have my pager and the alarm goes off at like two in the morning and I'm like, oh boy, here we go, it's happening. I drive down to the fire station, I get my, my gear on, I jump on an engine, we drive to a fire, there's a car on fire in somebody's driveway at like 2.30 in the morning and I get off the engine and I remember, Tim, I had no idea what to do. I didn't know. Somebody said like, attach that hose to the outlet. And I was like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what to do. I have no clue what to do. And I, in that moment, it was like, oh, I really should have, I should have asked more questions. And I definitely should have been more courageous because in this moment, I don't know what I'm doing. And luckily this isn't somebody's house. This is just a car. Nobody's in it, but God forbid it was my job to put out the fire and there was somebody in there. I wouldn't be able to do that. So I actually ended up leaving the fire, uh, the on-call fire duty shortly thereafter because I didn't think I could do it. Mm. That was a tough moment for me. Yeah. So going through sort of four months of training. I felt bad because the, clients. yeah, I felt bad because they paid. The department had paid for the training and then I ended up leaving right after. So I felt bad. Mm. But I... It broke me. That experience broke me. Like that, that messed me up. My my mindset was all over the place after that. I didn't think I could do it. So what did you go on to then? <laughs> Yet another job, Tim. Yet another job. So I had a very unique experience where I went to this school where it was kind of like a trade school. And it was two weeks. And the goal was you learn a new trade. And then they connect you with an employer. And I said, that sounds cool. Like, I'll go do that. I want to work with my hands. I like working with my hands. So I went to this school and it was the thing I signed up for. It's called weatherization. So it was our job to make homes more energy efficient. And I go through this two week class. We get to the end and they said, we're going to connect you with the best company. And I said, okay, I don't know what that means. And they said, well, they don't do any residential stuff. They only work on schools and state projects. And I said, oh, okay, interesting. They said, the only downside is there's travel involved. And I said, eh, I don't think I want to do that. Like, I want to be home. I like being home. And they said, well, you're going to make anywhere from 50 to $70 an hour. And I said, wait, what? And they said, yeah, since you work for the state, you get paid state rate and you're going to, you'll make, you're going to make a good amount of money. And I was like, okay, I'll give this a try because I want to make more money. And I remember... I had an interview with my potential boss and he loved me. He said, you're, you're, you have a great personality. You're going to fit in very well with them, uh, with the people that are working here. And I said, okay. He said, I'll, I'll call you when it's time to go. We have a big job coming up. I'll call you when it's time to go. So I remember I, I went to the movies and I walked out of the movies and I had a text message from my boss and I called him and he said, Hey, are you good to go? Like we're, we're ready to go. And I said, yeah, I'm ready. So I met my boss in at the the location of our headquarters which was in Boston and 
we were working in Delaware, which for those who don't know is like eight hours south of Boston. So I got in his Subaru out back with him with my little suitcase packed. We drove eight hours together. So I drove eight hours with a man I had met one time. We moved into a house with seven strangers I had never met. And then I proceeded to go learn a new job that I had never done before. And I remember when I when I got my first paycheck, I looked at it and I was like, there's no way this is real. There is no way I made $50 an hour last week. There's no way this is possible. Because when I got down there, Tim, I literally didn't have enough money to eat. All I could get was I got bread, uh, deli meat, and chips. That's all I could afford. I didn't have any money in my bank account. So like that job for me was such an, it came at such an, like a perfect time for me. And it was also one of the scariest things ever, for sure. Moving into a house and learning a job and that was a whole thing. But yeah, that was my next, that was my next job, weatherization. So how long did that last? I did that for, I think, probably three and a half years. Three and a half years. Yeah. That must the, be bringing so much up to date then. Almost, yeah. Yeah, that that was a challenge because I spent so much time on the road. Mm. I the So I had a year where I went through a really hard breakup. And my main goal, I said, look, I'm single now. I'm going to just grind, grind, and I want to make $100,000. I want to make $100,000 at 26 years old with no college degree. Like, that's what I'm going to do. And I I ended up making $100,000 at 26, but it took me 10 months on the road. I lived on the road for 10 months every single week. And after I made that money, I I just didn't want to do that job anymore because I found success and I realized that that wasn't success. So I remember in that moment, it was like, honestly, I don't want to do this anymore. So I started a podcast because for most of my life, I had lived unconsciously just by accident. I'm just, if you can't tell by the way I jump from job to job, I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) And I wanted to live the opposite of unconscious, which was hyperconscious. And I started a podcast called hyperconscious podcast. And for the next like eight months, I toggled with the idea of how do I do both of these things? I don't want to work at this job anymore. I can't travel. It's literally taking pieces of me away. Like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Um, but yeah, we got to the end of that next year and it was so bad. I was sitting on the edge of a hotel bed debating suicide because I just felt so stuck. I felt so trapped. I, I didn't know what to do. And three or four months after that, I ended up leaving my job and then going full-time into podcasting after that. Wow. So how did, how did you set it all up? Where, where, where did you set it all up? The podcast? Yeah. Did you end up back at your, your parents' home or? No, no. At that point I had lived, so I lived by myself in New Hampshire. I mean, I was making good money. So I, I had a nice place by myself. I had a, I had a nice car, I had a sports car, I had everything quote unquote that you could have when you're successful. And I just set it up at my house. That was the, that was the initial start is I, all I need is a microphone and I need a laptop and I need some friends to interview. So I'll get a couple microphones and boom, kind of go from there. When I realized I was going to leave my job, I moved in with one of my friends. He was, he wanted to become a real estate investor. We were both chasing our dreams. He said, look, I'll charge you 500 bucks a month to live with me. You'll have access to everything. We're best friends. This is going to be great. So I ended up moving in with him. My car was paid off and that became like kind of the studio. Whenever he was at work, I would just find a place to set it up. And if I had somebody over, I'd interview him. Um, Then I partnered with my business partner now. And our first like quote unquote real studio was his sister's old bedroom at his mom's house. That was our first podcast studio where we had a TV and we had lights and we had cameras. And yeah, that's when we were like, all right, we're going to do this for real. This is both of our full-time things now. And now we have to find a way to be successful. Hmm. So let's have a look at um, how you made it a success then. (laughs) Have you made it a success then? I would say so. Yeah, we we just crossed our thousandth episode 
last month. Um, we have listeners in 125 plus countries. We are grateful and are lucky enough to have turned it into a multi six figure business. So now this is what I do for a living. I'm a, I'm a professional podcaster, speaker, coach, and uh, entrepreneur, which is weird to say, especially when you look back at everything else I've done. But yeah, I, we, we have an amazing community. And I think that's the, the most awesome part of this is I get to do this every single day. And it's been a challenge for sure. Um, you know, I was very broke for the first three years. I couldn't afford Christmas presents for my girlfriend two years in a row. My car broke down and I couldn't get it fixed. So I was just driving it broken. But yeah, it was it was very much, how do we make money with this? And it started with coaching. I'm just going to start coaching people for free. And then after a certain amount of time, it was, look, I, we can't do this for free anymore. Is $50 a week reasonable? Does that sound good to you? Does that sound fair? And they would say, yeah, yeah that sounds good. And 50 went to 100 and 100 went to 150. And then we just got, we just kept doing that. And that was really, then it became like, you know, we're going to do three episodes a week. We're going to do five episodes a week. And then it got to the point where we said, we're going to do an episode every day. And this is going to be our thing. And we're not going to do anything else. We're going to podcast. We're going to coach. We're going to speak and we're going to build this business. And yeah, it's just every day. We just try to get a little bit better every day. That's always the goal. Absolutely. So what happened in the lockdown then? I guess lockdown changed slightly the way you did anything and you, so you do everything online I guess now it, yeah for a while when when it first happened like when it really got bad and we were like oh this is going to be like a real like world changing thing we started doing it over zoom just like everybody else mm-hmm. and then I think we only did that for probably like I don't know five or six months And then we said, you know what we should do if we were smart, you know what we would do? We'd go get a studio right now while commercial real estate is hurting because it'll be at a discount and nobody's going to be in the building. We just got to figure out if we're like allowed to do that. And we reached out to a building and we said, Hey, we're, we're a podcast. We're looking for, we're looking to rent like a studio. And they're like, yeah, it's, it's 550 bucks a month. We can do a virtual tour tomorrow. We'll walk you through it virtually. And if you want it, it's yours. And we saw it and we said, yeah, let's do that. And we moved in there in June of 2020, like kind of in the middle of the pandemic, but there was nobody else there. The building was completely empty. And that's where Alan and I just went to work. We weren't seeing anybody else. So we knew we were safe. The gyms were closed. So that was, that's one of the, one of the most like important times of growth for us was then because we had a studio, we could go somewhere where it was completely private. We had our own headquarters. Now that was a huge, huge important step for us. And we looked more, we looked more professional because we had a really nice studio, right? That was important. We had nice cameras, nice lights. So yeah, that was, it changed. And then it actually, it served us in a, in an impactful way. Did you carry on using Zoom or did you change the platform that you, you you were recording over? We use StreamYard like you. That's what we use now. Welcome to StreamYard. <laughs> it's it's very good. It, it's changed what I do. Yeah. I tried, I tried a couple of others. Um, I, I just couldn't get on with Ecamm. Uh, it yeah. Just, it, it's just a little bit too complicated for my brain to work. But, but StreamYard is really good. Yeah, we've had nothing but good luck. I've tried the other ones, but they just didn't, they weren't as good. Yeah, and it, this just works. And you can have the, the virtual backgrounds and you can you can put your overlays and you can put little video clips in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just makes life so easy. And 100%. Dan and Gage are great guys. They, they and, and the whole support network for, for StreamYard is just there. Mm. Um, and... There's loads of support nets and there's the there's Facebook group and if you've got a something you want to know, just ask it and there's there's always somebody who'll come back and let you know. Yeah. Whether you want to know the answer or not. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we always? Absolutely. So that's kind of where you are nowadays then. Yeah, that's that's where I am now. We're other than the fact that I'm going, I'm getting married next week. 
Um, our business has grown more in the last year than, than every other year combined. Our, we have a 16 person team now. It's just all the other jobs that I had, all the other lessons I learned have definitely put me into the position I am today where I have the work ethic cause I can work overnight. I can work long hours. I can travel. That's nothing. But yeah, it's, it's weird how you can connect the dots of, okay, I wanted to be, when I used to drive that truck, Tim, I used to say to myself, imagine if you could just talk on the radio for a living. How awesome would that be? Now I kind of do in a, in a weird, different yeah. kind of way. So it all kind of comes full circle eventually. Brilliant. So that's where we are then. That's where we are, my friend. Well, I wish you every success with the marriage. I appreciate it. And uh, if, if there's only one tip I can give you about being married... Make sure you have time for her. Mm. Make sure you have time for each other. Even if it's just one day a week, you go out and have a date once a week. And that's her time. And uh, yeah, long may it last. <laughs> Sunday's our date day. We have our Sunday date days every week. Yeah. And that's, uh, as long as you put that aside and nothing else comes in, then, um, then you won't go far wrong. That's the goal. That's the goal. I appreciate the advice. <laughs> well, Kevin, thanks so much. I've enjoyed our little chat. Likewise, my friend. I appreciate you. You're welcome. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.